Welcome to episode 15 of the Hike Files podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Zitzelman. What's going on? Last week's um, day off was not really planned after a series of technical issues and the fact that what I was recording just was not turning out right. So I, instead of fighting it, I just decided to take the week off. This week is going to be a little bit of a mishmash, a mix-up, a mashup, a mishmash. And it's going to be a bunch of stuff. It's not going to be anything in particular, but they are going to be related, including uh, some of the things that happened on the Appalachian Trail, a little bit of a recap of that, and uh, a topic that relates to that very much. I hope you guys enjoyed last episode's live from the trail version of the podcast. Uh, it was a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be because I was also recording video for my personal YouTube channel, and I didn't know... I couldn't keep I couldn't keep track of what I was recording for the podcast and what I was recording for the video because well I'm hiking and creating on top of that uh, becomes a secondary thing. But I hope it turned out all right. The trail itself was awesome. I loved it. It was a uh, uh, way more fun than I was expecting. And if the Allegheny Front Trail is not on your list of backpacking trails in the Northeast to do, it really should be. Now, I did the trail in the opposite direction as intended, and that was not on purpose. <laughs> I'd like to say it was, but it was not. But it did work out in my favor. Now, the trail is designed, it seems like, to be done in the clockwise direction. And what that does is it immediately gives you the vistas off of the actual Allegheny front immediately. Like the first thing that you come across are those vistas. The trail's a little rockier and a little slower, slower through there. There's a lot of climbs and, and descents. And none of them are, are huge or difficult, but they're just there. And then you get to a nice, flat, easy section for the rest of your day. And you can make some miles. The, the campsites along the trail are kind of set up for a clockwise direction. But what that does is on your last day, when you come back up around to the parking lot, it gives you kind of a a very easy uh, but kind of boring hike. So by doing it the opposite direction, picking campsites is a little harder, but you, you get this nice kind of introduction to the area on the first day, and then probably like from the midpoint to the end of your first day, you're going to start getting these beautiful uh, walks along the creeks, like the, the Black Mo Shannon, and then you're going to cross over to the Red Mo the Moshannon Creek, the, the really polluted one. And that marks a huge change in the trail. So you, you most likely will camp somewhere along there if you're doing it counterclockwise. It's a little harder to pick a campsite because you either got to make do with an okay, uh, maybe not the greatest campsite at around mile 13 and a half for that direction. Um, I was able to make a campsite work. I had to kind of go up into the woods and find my own spot because where you could put a tent in that campsite, there was a dead tree that was leaning towards it, and I wasn't going to risk that. Otherwise, you got to go like maybe another two miles to find really good campsites. And the the problem there isn't so much the campsites, but even though you're along the Moshannon Creek, like I said, it's very polluted, and you don't want to get your water from there. So you want to get your water from one of the, the little tributaries that feed the Moshannon, and they're not all the best. So 
the guidebook came in really handy with that. That first creek was the best water uh, quality I was going to come across for maybe another mile or two. And I was running out of daylight, so I just made that work. But the further you go uh, counterclockwise, you run into more and more um, interesting things to see. You got the Moshan, and then you go up along the, the six mile. And then you, you go over towards Smage. You go through, um, and these are all the, the creeks. And then you go through the Black Moshannon State Park, probably on your last day. And then up into those vistas for your last four miles. And those become the payoff. And I really think that that was the best way to do it. Yeah, your last day is harder. Well, it starts out easy, but it ends hard. Because you got to do that four miles of, of up and down and up and down and rocks into the vistas and back down and back up and back down. It's a little more work, but I think it's worth it. Now, related to that trip is what I was trying to make an episode out of last week, but there's really not enough there to, to do it. So I'm just going to make a little bit of a segment for this week. And that is dealing with adversity while you're on a trail. Now, I didn't have anything major go wrong. I didn't get injured. I wasn't lost. I didn't lose anything. You know, nothing nothing really major happened. But my uh, air pad, my mattress, did develop a leak. And that happened on the first night. And I had no idea. I just used it a couple trips before when I was in the Pinchot State Forest. And uh, I woke up in the morning on day two. And I was super uncomfortable and I couldn't figure out why. And it was because I was actually laying on the ground and I was like, oh crap. So that could be really bad news, right? Cause that's how you sleep. That's how you get rejuvenated. You need that to kind of keep going. But for me in, in a situation like that, I just need to make a decision quickly. And like I knew in my mind, okay, I am just a day's hike away from the car. I could very easily just pack up my stuff and go back the way I came and I know exactly what I've got. I know, you know, I've already seen everything, so I can kind of make, you know, I can cruise through, and then I can just come back and try this another day. But I didn't want to do that. I figured I'm going to keep going. I can try to repair the mat, which I couldn't because I didn't bring a repair kit, but I couldn't try to repair the mat. Uh, maybe it was just, uh, maybe it just leaked because I didn't close the valve all the way. Maybe it just lost air because it got colder. There was a lot of ifs, but I knew that I had more time for the day and I knew that I was coming up to a lot more, not more better, but a lot more higher quality campsites. That's a better way of saying it. So I could pick and choose the best spot where even if my mat was completely dead, I could be a little more comfortable on the ground I was sleeping on instead of just picking a spot that was basically the right size and shape to fit my tent like I did on night one. So I, I had a little more leeway that way. But sometimes what you run into when you're on trail isn't that simple of a decision. I've been injured on a trail. Luckily, knock on wood, the only time I've ever suffered a major injury was when I was with Peoples on the Appalachian Trail. I've talked about this before. I had rocks go out from underneath me, and as I tried to correct myself, I made the situation worse, and I slammed my face into a rock. Now, for that instance, the quick decision was, you know, am, am I alive? You know, am I even okay? I had people with me. They kind of assessed the situation. I was pretty cut up and, and banged up, but um, I was basically okay. I didn't break anything. There was no major gouges. I wasn't gushing blood. So my my initial 
quick decision was, let's not stay here. Let's move on to the next road. You know, and that was that was the decision that was made by me and the group. That wasn't just me like, come on, tally ho, let's go. You know, I wanted to get somewhere where I could stop before the the shock of it set in or before my body started to really feel it and then sit down and relax and kind of take stock of myself. And then if I really couldn't keep going, I wasn't, you know, a mile back in the woods. I was somewhere where I could easily get out. And then while we were sitting there, I was just kind of checking myself. Uh, I've had concussions before. I know what it feels like. I I know the signs to look for. And I, I, I wasn't recognizing any of those. I didn't feel nauseous. I didn't feel like I wanted to take a nap. Um, I was pretty with it for somebody who just, you know, smashed into a rock. Uh, so I made a decision. Yeah, I'm good to keep going. I knew we really only had one difficult part to get through, and that was at the very end. So made the decision just keep going. Now, if I was by myself, I may not have made that decision. I may have gotten out to that road and just called for somebody to get me out of there. The the weird part about that is I probably wouldn't have been there if I was by myself because the Appalachian Trail is not something that I tend to do solo. Uh, I'm, I'm not really a, you know adverse to the idea. But it's not really a solo hike for me because so many people use the trail, so you're always running into people. So it's not really my uh, preferred place to do a solo trip. But if that were to happen now on a, on a bigger trail, um, yeah, I would find a spot where I could I could get extracted from if I could, and then make a call and, and get out of there. The other situation where I had a lot of like little bad things happen was up in the Catskills. And I was doing a three-day trip. It was in the winter, so I had short hours. I had to carry heavy gear because it was winter. And I hiked in about eight miles. And on that trip, in the eight miles in, although it doesn't seem like a lot, when you're in the, in the mountains, eight miles is pretty far. I, uh, I had all kinds of like recording issues. A lot of my gear was breaking down. Uh, I forgot what shoes I was wearing. They, weren't, they didn't have like the toe protection that I was used to with the boots I had been wearing. And I, I was standing on some rocks and one of them kind of rolled toward the, towards the other and pinched my foot in the rocks and almost broke my toe. I dropped my GPS. It popped off my, my uh, I was using a, a standalone GPS and it popped off my pack when I was sitting down for lunch and it, it hit the rock and it bounced and it went over the edge. I was able to get it, but it was all these little things. And then I get to camp and I have a hard time finding water and I finally find water and my filter won't work. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was I was like, should I just turn around? Should I just call this? Is this too many, like, red flags? Should I just pack it up and go? And I was like, nope. Smart decision is to set up camp, eat what I have that I don't need to boil, save my water for drinking, go to sleep, get some rest, wake up in the morning, and then figure it out from there. Because I had enough food. I had enough uh, no-cook food that if I had to, I could have just walked back out. But when I got up in the morning, you know, a clear head, well-rested, the troubles of the day before were gone, and I was able to figure out why my filter wasn't working. I was able to, you know, get water, reassess everything, and realize, okay, I'm fine. Even if my filter didn't work, it's winter in the Catskills. There was chunks of ice around. There was piles of snow. It's all runoff water. Really, all I need, I probably don't even need to filter it. 
I could just boil it if I have to. So it kind of gave me a better peace of mind. But that quick decision was don't do anything foolish and try to hike out in the dark. Stay put. Get your rest. Eat. Get your wits back about you. And then make your decision. So everyone's going to have a different method for how they deal with things like that. And you're not always going to be in a situation where you can make a decision. You know, you could get, you could be sick, you could get injured and that could compromise your cognitive abilities and you may not be able to make that decision. But the important thing to remember, and if you only remember one thing in those situations is you, you've only got yourself to rely on. So you've got to look past all the BS that's going on. Look past all the little things that are just annoyances. Find what the the real, the core problem is. And then you got to make a decision. Is it, can you overcome it or can't you? And if you can, then you figure out how. And if you can't, then you find a way to get out of the situation. Probably a lot easier said than done. But it's kind of the way you got to think when you're, when you're out in a situation, when you're out on a trip and things go wrong. doesn't matter if it's something little or something big, that finding the core problem, ignoring all the other things, finding the core problem that's going on and trying to overcome that. You know, so in the grand scheme of things, a sleeping pad, not a huge problem, but it's the, the way it can mentally drain on you. It's a gear failure. Oh, what if I don't get good sleep? You start worrying about that. You know, for me, I just had to put that out of my mind and figure, well, I've slept in worse spots. Sleep is sleep, and it might be uncomfortable, but worse things have happened, and I just moved on. So, and then the the last thing I'm going to talk about today is just a little more news about the Pinchot State Forest. That is the the state forest that is local to me, and I've mentioned before how they've they've kind of grown in leaps and bounds and acquired more and more space, and I I may have talked about uh, there's like 600 and some acres that they purchased just off of like the Scranton. Actually, it's in the city border of Scranton, and it goes out into uh, towards the the main Thornhurst tract. And they they added that uh, maybe two months ago. Um, and that may actually already have trails on it. I think the the family that owned it were. I don't know if they were planning on donating it to the DCNR or one of the conservancies, but I think there's already some at least preliminary trails on it. Uh, I haven't been over there yet because I think the only way you can really get into it right now is a trolley ride. They haven't made an actual access to it yet. Yeah, we have we have trolleys in Scranton. But then I just did see the past couple of days, and I, I only read briefly about it, that another 1,400 acres of land was acquired by the Pinchot State Forest. And this is down by the Makanaqua Loop, which I've been to oh, probably two years ago. Uh, it's all old um, coal mine land. And it's all grown back over. It's not like it's it's like uh, open mines or anything like that. But there was a, a section to the north of it that was kind of disconnected the Makanaqua tract from... I think it's called the Harvey's Creek Track. And I think this 1,400-acre uh, section 
either closes that gap or, or greatly reduces that small, uh, there might be just a small section of land now that's not owned by the forest. So again, up there, there's all kinds of old um, forest roads and mining roads. So they're like built-in trails. So it's interesting to see what happens with that. I know that there's already talks of parking, and I'm pretty sure pretty sure people were already hiking up there. I'm not sure who owned the land, but I think people were already going in there. So there may already be some hiking opportunities in that spot. So um, I've kind of joked before about uh, at some point the Pinchot State Forest is going to own all the undeveloped land in the northeast corner of the state, and it's looking like that might actually happen. Um, they are adding a lot. And I, I'm pretty sure I touched on this before, but I know that there's a lot of conservancies in the southern part of Pennsylvania and in Delaware and Maryland and Virginia who have a, a great interest in what happens with the land up near me because all of this is towards the the head of the Chesapeake Bay watershed area. Uh, not directly, but it does eventually all go down there. And for Philly, a lot of their water comes from the watershed that we feed into. So they've got a lot of interest in protecting this land to make sure that they've got clean water. And I know that 600-acre tract over in Scranton, that was that was put together by a conservancy in Virginia. I think it was Virginia or Maryland that made the deal to get the land and then made the deal with the DCNR to transfer it over to them. So really interesting to see how these groups are getting together to conserve the land up here, which I love because, I mean, we don't need any more factories and warehouses. The jobs are nice, but there's enough empty buildings in this area that we can, we don't need to keep building new ones to bring people in. They can, they can use the ones we've got. So a little bit shorter episode this week, but that's okay. We don't always need to be 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll work on something a little bit bigger for next week. Um, this podcast, I tend to just sit down and talk about what's on my mind with the outdoors. So maybe maybe I'll research something this time. No, <laughs> for episode sixteen, and I'll bring you something a little bit more in depth. But until then, go outside, uh, enjoy the weather that we're having because at some point we're going to get winter. It's been pretty warm here. It's going to be. It was, it was almost 75 yesterday here in Northeast PA. That's crazy for October going into November. Um, I'm okay with it, but I would like to see some snow this winter. I don't know if we'll get much. Oh, I guess we'll find out. Go outside, enjoy yourselves, and I will talk to you in episode 16 of the Hike Files podcast.